Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Center. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob Biswell. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. And we thank you, Father, that you are high and lifted up. And Father, we pray this morning that your word would be alive to us. We pray, Father, this morning that you would transform us. That, Father, in this service today, you would release your presence in unprecedented measures. That, Father, we might experience the fullness of who you are. That we might be transformed from glory to glory. That we might know you more. Father, I pray this morning for broken hearts, and I pray that hearts would be mended. I pray this morning for broken bodies, that bodies would be healed. And I thank you, Father, this morning that you are more than able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ever ask or imagine. And I pray, Father, this morning for the anointing that makes preaching easy and the anointing that breaks every yoke of bondage. We thank you, Father, this morning for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. That's where we're going to be. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, it will be on the screen. It is so good to be in church this morning, isn't it? So good to be in church. He's worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. I'm going to start with a verse out of 1 Timothy, but I want you to turn to Luke 24 because that's where we'll be this morning. Uh, But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, it says this, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I love this passage of Scripture. There would be few Christians who at some point in their Christian walk have not struggled with believing God. If you've never struggled with believing God, I need you to preach this morning because you can give us your, your, your secrets. But, you know, I, I think that we've all struggled in believing God. And over the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about regaining our faith. And I want to talk about regaining our faith stance, taking a firm stand in faith. In those areas where we've lost faith, I want to talk about how we can regain that. You know, we've struggled sometimes, whether it's with finance or healing or family members to be saved or personal areas of struggle. And it can even be that our faith can become in a critical state of unbelief. How many of you have ever dealt with unbelief? Okay, some of us this morning. And yet God has a way of instantaneously amplifying our faith to move us in an instant of time from from mortality thinking to the possibilities of immortality thinking, from from thinking that everything is impossible to all of a sudden believing that anything is possible, where our faith that was once depleted can be instantly recharged and rebuilt and where our weak faith can be turned into strong faith. Greg, I just want to honor Greg in, in the back this morning, has spent hours getting our sound system fixed. Doesn't it sound much better? I mean, he has spent hours getting it. And, and like the modern sound system, which is made up of this microphone and amplifiers and speakers, using this microphone alone, if it's not connected to the sound system, it's not going to do anything. I could wear this everywhere, and it wouldn't do anything unless it was connected to something to amplify it. 
And so it is that God in an instant of time can amplify our faith to recharge us and bring us from unbelief to faith. So let's go to our, our, our chapter this morning, Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 13. We're going to read down through 15 and then, and then we'll talk a little bit and then we'll read some more. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. So we're after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Two of his disciples are walking together. They're discussing the events of the previous days. And though they'd heard rumors of the resurrection, they were struggling. They were struggling in their faith. They were unable to believe the reported resurrection. Now, note these were some of the same disciples who had seen the miracles. They'd heard the greatest teacher that had ever been on earth had direct contact with him, had seen the feeding of the 5,000, had seen a number of people raised from the dead, had seen blind people receive their sight. They saw the lepers healed. They saw cripples instantly restored to full use of their limbs. The deaf received hearing. The dumb had been given the ability to speak. Jesus had made it clear what would unfold in terms of his death. It had been a point of great controversy, which Jesus had already clarified for them. They had seen all of this. They'd experienced all this. They knew he'd be crucified, and they knew that after three days he'd be raised from the dead. But their faith was weak in this moment. They were unable to rise above the glaring circumstances of the crucifixion and burial of Jesus. All they knew at this point is he died, he'd been buried, and their faith was weak. They had lost the vision, the future promise of a Redeemer. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word, in the sight of God and all the people. How the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying they'd also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the woman had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though they were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. We'll stop there. So they were fast losing all faith. The very ones who'd been closest to Jesus and had seen and heard all that he had done. I wonder about us. Had we been so close to Jesus, how would we react? If we'd walked with him, if we'd seen the miracles, how 
would we react? Maybe you've said in the past after a great encounter with God, I could never lose my faith now. I have all the faith I'll ever need. I will always believe God as a result of what He's done today. We've all had those moments where our faith was high on the mountain, where we had so much faith we felt like we could empty a hospital. And then something happens. Disappointment comes. Promises we're believing for haven't been fulfilled. And yet today you're struggling in that arena that you were some months ago. So sure you could never struggle in again. For these disciples, it seemed as though the three years of being with Jesus had amounted to nothing. It seemed to them that Jesus had failed. What went wrong? Why were they in such a low point? How was it that they'd come so short of the strong faith needed to sustain them at this important time? More importantly, how could these faithless, confused men be able to evangelize the world? How could they fulfill the call that Jesus himself had given him, given them a world that just a few days before in the cruelest manner snuffed out all their hope on a crude Roman cross? But Jesus had not failed. Actually, these men had not failed. All that was failing in this moment was their faith. Their faith that was once strong was now greatly weakened by harsh circumstances surrounding the death of Jesus. And today you might find yourself in that same attitude. Once strong and resilient faith, now weakened and diminished because of the harsh circumstances of life. And maybe in areas where you were once strong in faith, today you find yourself in doubt. It could be that the circumstances of life had flooded you with negative pressures. Maybe areas that you were once victorious in have now defeated you. Do you look at where you, were, where you are now compared to where you were some time ago? You go, man, I wish I had that faith again. I wish I could believe like I used to believe. I wish these disappointments in my heart weren't weren't wrestling in my heart. We talked last week about the wrestling that happens and, and we have to keep believing. But the reality is some of us just have had so many disappointments, we don't know how to get back to that place of faith. We don't know how to believe again. We don't know how to regain our faith stance. And for these two disciples, Jesus was about to do something so powerful, it would instantly turn their faith around from weakness to strength. The same thing that Jesus will do for each one of us struggling in faith this morning. Whatever you are struggling with this morning, Jesus in an instant can bring faith back into your heart. So on the road, Jesus teaches them. We read about this. He goes all the way back to Moses and the prophets. I like to kind of rehearse Bible stories and, and, and think about what it was like in those moments. And so we've got Jesus walking with these two disciples. He says, we're going to go all the way back to Moses. I'm going to take you all the way back to, to when God called Moses as a deliverer to the children of Israel and, and all the plagues. And then he walked them through the Ten Commandments and then the breaking of the Ten Commandments and then Moses going back up the mountain and walked them through all the history. And what the prophets had prophesied. And they still didn't get it. (laughs) How many of us are like that sometimes? We can have everything explained to us. Laid out on a table. All the details there. And we still don't get it. We still don't understand it. I'm like that sometimes. And yet their attitudes remain the same. Here was the best teacher giving the best teaching they could ever receive. And so out of cultural courtesy... Because it was growing dark, they said, why don't you come and eat with us? Why don't you come in? And in verse 30, it says, when he had reclined at the table, 
with them, he took the bread and blessed it and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Instantly, they're moved into a position of faith. How? Why in this moment are they moved into a position of faith? If I had a loaf of bread this morning, which I intended to have, but I forgot it. I would take it and I'd bless it and I'd break it. But in that moment, he holds up this bread and their eyes are open. Why? Because he'd done that once before. But not only that, they could see those rugged scars in his hands. They all of a sudden, their eyes saw those ugly, gaping holes made by the Roman spikes on the cross. And in that moment, as the two men suddenly saw the hands, remembered the last time he broke bread, a giant burst of spiritual adrenaline surged through their weak and faltering faith. It says, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us? on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. There was something that happened in that moment. Jesus He instantly disappears. He vanishes. He's gone. This moment had come because the much needed work was done. Where their faith was weak, all of a sudden they recognized the burning in their hearts. They recognized what had been taking place this whole time. And that's exactly how Jesus works with us, y'all, is that he takes those places of our weak faith and he begins to speak to them. And he begins to minister to them. And we don't get it at first. Some of us, it takes a little longer than others. But he begins to speak to us and he begins to minister to us. And then he does something to help us recognize who he is. And I think some of us this morning need that moment with the Lord where he can take us back to that place, those places of encounter in our life, returning to those altars on our heart. See, that night that he had broken bread with him the first time, and we're going to take communion this morning. But that time that he had, he had broken bread the first time was a, a demarcation point in their life. He was establishing his covenant with them. And when he gets them alone in this room and he begins to break bread with them, he's taking them back to the place of faith. And that's what God wants to do with our hearts this morning. He wants to take us back to the place of faith. Take us back to that place of strength where there is strength to believe again. So they could now give testimony to the rest of the disciples as to what the Lord had done. If I remember correctly, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it was about about five and a half miles. So they'd walked these five and a half miles to Emmaus. They get in. They eat with Jesus. Well, he breaks bread with them. And it says, then they instantly got up and went five and a half miles back to Jerusalem to report back to the eleven. We've been with Jesus. He really did rise from the dead. Everything that we had doubted, he settled it. It really did happen. And what Jesus did for them 
He will do for you and I. In our failing faith, our struggle with unbelief, He will come and reveal Himself to us in such a way that will also propel us into a once again strong stance of faith. Their their heads were held high. There was a new determination in their steps. That's a long walk. Five and a half miles is a long walk. To then get up and go right back. Because faith had been spurred on the inside of them once again. We've got to testify of what happened. And it will be done in a way appropriate for you and your circumstances. For Thomas, it was the offer to place his hands in the pierced side of Jesus. But the effect was the same, propelling him instantaneously into a state of faith. John Avanzini calls these moments faith extenders. Moments when God will impact your life with a faith burst. Where God will once again quicken you deep in your spirit as to the possibilities of life. Where he will plant a seed, a thought that will stimulate your thinking in your spirit. Where he will give you a picture of the future of the promise of God towards you. Jeremiah 29 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. One translation says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. To give you a hope and a future. God wants to build faith on the inside of us this morning. And when he does that, it will have the proponent within it to ignite your faith, to stimulate your confidence in believing God. It could come in a scripture verse, in a prophetic word to you. It could come in a picture painted in your imagination by the Spirit of God. It could come in a dream or a vision in a word of encouragement from another person. It could even come in the preaching of the word or during the praise and worship. But however it comes, the effect is the same. Faith is recharged. It is reignited. It is re-stimulated. And a new sense of anticipation is created in the heart. God will bring revelation to us about our future, about our circumstances, all with a view of stimulating us toward anticipation of what the future holds for us. Because I think sometimes we get so stuck in what hasn't happened. And we replay that over and over again. The disciples on their walk to Emmaus, they're replaying all of what happened. Jesus said this and he said this and we had hoped How many of us have said that before? I was hoping that this would come to pass. I was believing that this would come to pass. And then we walk through disappointment and it doesn't come to pass. And so we we begin to falter in our faith. But Jesus wants to reignite your stance of faith this morning. That despite what has happened, he wants to get you into what is happening. That faith can be stirred up again in your heart. That you could believe again for the miracle. You could believe again for him to do what his word says he will do. He wants to awaken your heart this morning. He wants to burn on the inside of you. Jeremiah described the word of the Lord. He said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. I can't contain it. God wants to set your faith ablaze this morning so that when you have done all to stand, you may stand. You will go through difficult times. It's going to happen. But when those come, we've got to know how to stand. And our stance is in faith. And so some of us need that encounter with the Lord this morning where He reignites our faith. God will bring revelation to us about our future, about our circumstances, all with the view of stimulating us towards anticipation of what the future holds for us. He creates 
anticipation. He creates it in our heart. And by doing so, he defeats disappointment. How many of you ever have had anticipation about a trip or an event? Or when you were a kid, your parents said, we're going to go to Disneyland. We're going to go do this. We're, we're, we're going to go to the water park, whatever it was. And there was an anticipation that would build. And then you would ask, when are we going? Eden, a couple weeks ago when we were getting ready to go up to Corsicana for in a, a convention up there, she asked every day, when are we going to the hotel again? When do we get to swim in the pool? Two more days. Next day. When are we going to the hotel? Tomorrow, sweetie. Later that day. Are we going to the hotel tomorrow? There was an anticipation. We need to begin to live with that same anticipation that God's going to fulfill his promises. God, when are you going to do this? I'm going to do it. Trouble with God is he doesn't often give us timelines. <laughs> I wish he did. I'm going to do this on May the 3rd, 2022. Okay, great. I'm going to put on my calendar, God. I wish he'd work like that. He doesn't. But with that sense of anticipation, maybe he will speak about your finances, your healing, your family, your personal needs, and create that sense of anticipation that God is going to do something miraculous for us. And with that sense of anticipation, our seed faith is watered as we begin to meditate, to confess and pray about that revelation. So when God gives me a promise, I begin to confess that promise over my life. God, you said that you were going to cause this around my life. And then I pray into it. God, is there anything in me that's preventing that from coming to pass? Is there anything I need to change? Any attitudes I have about this? Any repentance I need to do? that is preventing the promises from coming to pass. And then I begin to confess it some more. And then I pull out the prophetic words that line up with that. God, you, you gave me a word on July 3rd, 2007, that I would go to nations. God, you gave me a word on August the 6th, 2006, that by the time I'm 30, I'd never worry about money again. And I go back to those words. And I go back to those prophetic promises and I begin to pray them through and I let them begin to ignite faith in my heart again. Because what happens is, is when prophetic words don't come to pass when we thought they would, disappointment begins to settle in our heart. And we begin to go, maybe it's never going to come to pass. Maybe I just need to lay it down. Maybe, no, reignite faith because he's faithful. He is faithful. It may not look like how we thought it would look like, may not come in the timeline we thought it would, but let faith be reignited in your heart and take that firm stand this morning that what God says he will do, he will do. He is not a man that he should lie, neither is he a son of man that he should repent. Through the anticipation of God doing something miraculous for us, our confession changes. Our attitudes are renewed. Our prayer life is refocused on God's answer for us. Through that faith extender, we are propelled once again to consider the future with anticipation of God working in and through our lives. You know, I mentioned just a second ago a prophetic word I received on August 6, 2006 from Brent Douglas, prophesied over my life. He said, by the time you're 30, you'll never worry about money again. Well, I'll just turn 31. And honestly, I didn't become a millionaire. God took worry out of my heart. Now, do I have moments? Oh, yeah. But I go back to that word, God, you said, I'd never worry about it again. Now, I've had prophetic words that have said I would be a steward of millions. That has not happened yet. But I, I renew those 
faith things in because I'm really not concerned about me being a millionaire. I really don't care. God meets our needs. So, so this is not one of those prosperity gospel prophetic words. This is about stewardship of kingdom finances. And so I go back to that. There's prophetic words that Pastor Anna has had about her healing. And I go back to those prophetic words. God, it hasn't happened yet, but I know that you said it would. And I reignite my faith towards it. And I reignite my stance. And I, I put my feet firmly on the ground again. And I begin to confess those things again. And though I'm yet to enter into the reality of this practically, the reality is I already have it because I've now ignited by the Spirit of God in my heart. I'm now able to live in a position of anticipation. It may not have come to pass yet, but I live with anticipation that it will. And some of you need to change your position this morning. You're living in a position that it hasn't happened yet. And you keep viewing, it, viewing your life through that. It hasn't happened yet. These prophetic words hasn't ha- haven't happened yet. No, I changed my position. My prophetic words are coming to pass. I'm going to live anticipation of the kingdom of God being made manifest. And it's the same for all of us. God will bring a faith extender, a faith propellant into your life. And that's what God wants to do this morning, is He wants to change your stance this morning and give you anticipation of prophetic promises coming to pass. I don't care what hasn't come to pass. Because none of that matters in the light of the goodness of God. Those disappointments, I understand they're real. I've got my disappointments. Still walking through the disappointment of Andrew's death. Still walking through, not understanding the why. And listen, I had to surrender my right to why. We have to surrender our right to why. The only right I have is to know the Word of God. And to know that He's faithful. And when I do that, I can reignite my faith stance. And that's what God wants to do this morning. And so in closing, we're going to take communion this morning. But before we do that, I want to say to you that God is a God who is rich in mercy. You've never never made a decision to allow Christ to transform your life. To make that decision to follow Him fully, to make Him Lord and Savior. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. That God is so good that He sent Jesus to the cross. It was His goodness. It was His goodness that sent Jesus to the cross. That we might be rescued from our sin. Delivered from a lifestyle of sin to be transformed into a new creation. Through the only way that was possible and that was through the blood of Jesus. Jesus declared Himself, There is no way to the Father except through Me. He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. And this morning, if you're far from God, you don't have a relationship with Him, I want to extend that opportunity this morning. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you were to face eternity this morning and you don't have a confidence that that eternity would be with Christ, there's a couple things we need to do. We need to repent of our sin. Saying, God, I'm sorry for the things I've done. Sorry for the sin that separates me from you. When we repent, we receive his forgiveness. Makes us a new creation. So in just a second, we're going to pray a prayer together. But if that's you this morning, you've never made a commitment to Christ. You've never let him transform you from the inside out. You aren't certain of your spot in eternity. If that's you this morning, you want to do that. You want to commit your life to Christ this morning. I want you to slip up your hand. 
see those hands this morning. We're going to pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for the price you paid for my freedom. Today I choose to follow you. Today I'm a new creation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingcenter.us.